What's up, everybody? Welcome to Zane's World. If you thought that was an awkward and contrived version of the Wayne's World theme, that's because it was. Welcome to Zane's World. I'm your host, Zane Coppage. This is going to be a Geek Domination production show that I do to start with once a week. And moving right, uh, moving along from there, I might develop it into about a two times a week podcast that'll be about somewhere between 10 and 20 minutes um, depending upon the introduction and the content within the video or audio cast, actually, um, down the road, we might do videos. And that's why that was in my head. Um, moving right along, uh, this show will be me talking about things I like. It'll be, uh, comic book reviews. Sometimes it'll be comic book origins for protagonists, antagonists, some creatures and monsters and people between that. Um, yeah, basically that's what it'll be. It'll be just me going off about whatever I want to talk about that I can't get in on the podcast because of time constraints as well as over-explanation that you could be found elsewhere. In this case, it'll be found on this show, and I'll be referencing this show within that podcast. So if you come from the Geek Domination stuff, hello! Good to see you again. Nice for you to have you be here. And uh, if you are here because you guys are curious of me personally, hi! Nice to meet you. As I said before, Zane. So, let's get going. Um, today's episode will have the Avengers Age of Ultron review. Um, the summary of the film basically goes that Tony Stark creates Ultron. To give you a backstory on Ultron, Ultron in the comic books was a robot who was created by Hank Pym instead, another scientist that we're going to be introduced to in Ant-Man, who once created was told your prime directive is to protect humanity. Well, being a robot, he kind of does the iRobot and other kind of robot kind of mentality of the only way I'm going to protect humanity is by destroying them. So he sets out to destroy all of humanity. Um, in the comics, he's very cold, calculated, and menacing. In the film, he kind of comes off really naive and fascinated with the mass extinction events such as the ones that killed the dinosaurs and the ones that happened before that even. Um, it's kind of odd, really, the way that he goes about it. Um that being said, there might be spoilers to come near the end. I'm hoping to avoid them throughout the, the majority of this review. Uh, the film was shaped out in three pieces and kind of formulaically follows the same patterns and, and tendencies that the first Avengers followed. Thing is, the second time around, it's not it doesn't hit nearly as well. Still really good, don't get me wrong. Like, Don't take that as a huge negative. Just know that it's going to have a similar flow to the way it presents the information. We start out with an incursion into an Eastern European country to take the scepter from Hydra. Um, somehow they got a hold of it and they've been reverse engineering weapons and bioweapons from it. That being said, once they get there, they wind up introducing Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, two new characters of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We have Scarlet Witch, who has telekinesis and telepathy. And then we have Quicksilver, who has super speed. Um, they're twins, and they sometimes are awkward because all the, they've only had a chance to rely on each other their whole lives. So they kind of have a really ultra-closeness between them. During this first segment of the film, we had Scarlet Witch give an illusion to Stark. And his illusion is that he sees a world where everyone he knows and loves is dead. And is told in that illusion that it's all his fault, that he had a chance to act and he didn't take it. Yeah, it was kind of... Like, that was really good. It set up the, the tone for the film, I thought. At least 
you think it does. The tone throughout the film doesn't quite follow that tendency for the remainder. Um, flash forward a little bit. We had him, we, uh, Stark convinces Thor to not take the scepter right away, to give him three days to analyze it and get what he can out of it before he takes it back. So he starts doing that. Across the three days, him and uh, Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner reverse engineer as much stuff out of it as they can. They find an, a new AI that looks similar to a biological brain. They find a bunch of other information on that from that scepter. Um, it all culminates into a dinner party that we saw. We've we've seen in trailers. We've seen in previews. We've uh, some people got to see almost the entire dinner party scene back at Comic Con last year. Um, so it's kind of cool. We also got to see uh, Sam Wilson, the Falcon, come back. Got to see. Uh, James Rhodes, Rhodey, uh, War Machine, make an appearance at the dinner party. We got to see the Stanley cameo during that portion. I'm not going to say what it was, but you can check it out there. Um, we got to see a little bit of uh, Stark and Thor's little bit of their competition continue on into them describing the women that they're with, um, which was rather funny, actually. Um, both trying to say that they're dating the hottest, smartest woman out there. Then it kind of devolves to a point where it's just the core Avengers and this new scientist woman who is an associate of them, who has crafted and perfected cellular regeneration through a machine that she has. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting to see all that stuff kind of culminate. And then we also got to see the introduction of, of, of Ultron during that sequence, as he has already, at this point, taken over all of uh, Stark's Iron Legion, and he attacks. Um, prior to this, though, there was a nice moment a nice little uh, reprieve of comedy where Thor gets challenged to uh, let everyone try lifting his hammer. Um, none of them could. It was kind of set up odd. Like Stark winds up grabbing his glove um, and tries using the jets on the glove to pick it up, which I thought was strange because all that really was doing was enhancing his grip strength and nothing more because he wasn't wearing like the full arm. He wasn't wearing the full suit at any point. So he was still relying on his bicep, abdomen, and legs to try and lift the hammer. And then Rhodey got involved with him together, and they both only wore one glove and used the jets on that glove to try and lift it. It was kind of strange. But then um, we had a couple other people try. We had, um, you know, the rest of the male Avengers kind of try it out. Ruffalo made a slight Hulk joke that no one laughed at because... Everyone was afraid he was being serious. Um, Cap gave it some shots, uh, or a, a, tr a good shot, and um, nudged it. Thor got worried. It was good. That part specifically, um, for me, alluded to a future scene we will probably wind up seeing where, in desperation, Cap will wind up actually using the hammer to fight someone off. Um, but then getting into the second portion of the film... We had them go go into hiding because they figured Ultron knew exactly where they would have been and all that stuff. So they went into hiding somewhere where they knew he wouldn't be, which was somewhere Hawkeye found. Um, not necessarily found, but where Hawkeye's from, actually. That's when we got the biggest piece of Hawkeye origin. And why he hasn't appeared in other things is likely because he was there. Um, then we got to see them attack Ultron again. But this time, Ultron's got Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch on his side. 
So more of them wind up falling under the illusion trick, including the Hulk, who then goes on a rampage through South Africa, uh, one of the South African cities. Um, that part, I'm not sure if they're still in Wakanda at that point, or if Wakanda was merely mentioned right before that, and were introduced to Vibranium and Ulysses Claw before that. But then we got a really great set of action sequences with uh, Stark and Hulk throwing down um, Hulkbuster versus Hulk. And that was really cool. Um, comical at times, but really awesome. But Banner felt true guilt from that moment. He felt like it was his fault that he truly has the power to do everything to destroy anyone he that gets in his way. And he is so afraid of that. He doesn't want to hurt anyone. He doesn't want to do anything wrong. So we get to see his guilt. Um, then in the final portion of the film, we wind up seeing them go after Ultron again. This time Ultron is in his, uh, the Eastern European country from the beginning of the film. And he is, uh, letting his plot unfold. Fantastic set of sequences. But like I said, all these three main parts really do allude itself formulaically to the first Avengers and how it was structured. It's like almost the exact same story structure for what was seen on screen. To give you a kind of final verdict, go see it, no matter what kind of fan you are. The only thing I'll have to I'll, I'll say is if you want to have the setup for the film proper, make sure you've seen Thor the Dark World, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Iron Man 3 to really know where everything's at. Guardians will help, but it's not necessary for this film at all. Um, there's only one tiny two-second piece that alludes to what happened in Guardians, and most people probably didn't even notice it, um, unless you have a really keen eye for that sort of thing. So go see it. Now we're going to get into some of the spoiler stuff, stuff I loved and hated that I'm going to be kind of more explicit about. So, um, Actually, right before that, the one big thing that I loved about the film that won't spoil anything for you is the amount of attention to the detail of saving people, that we're dealing with protagonists who are viewed in most countries as heroes actually doing everything in their power to save people from dying. My most favorite part of that, that showcased that, was a moment when Stark is fighting Hulk, and he's flying by a giant construction of a skyscraper that's just girders at this point, and uh, some other framework stuff. Scans it completely, and then asks the onboard computer, which in this case was Veronica, if if he could buy the building now, like as soon as possible, like right now. And then he just drops Hulk into it as he comes racing down in the Hulkbuster after him, just slamming him through the ground, taking down this entire super size skyscraper, uh, demolishing it all in one hit. But he took that few seconds beforehand to make sure he scanned every floor of the building and not a single life sign. That's what he did. Um, throughout the movie, though, there's constant need to save people, and they try to do everything they can they can to show that on screen. Now we get into the more actual, like, specific spoilers. So... You've been warned, stop listening, whatnot, stop playing this, or whatever. And, okay, now we're going to get into spoilers. A um, few things. Um, quippy one-liners all over the fucking place. Half the time they're really awesome, half the time they fucking blow. Um, it got a little tiring by the end of it. You kind of wind up just loathing the one-liners by the end of the film. Especially if you came off of, like, Thor The Dark World and... Captain America the Winter Soldier, which both of those films did such a good job of presenting their characters without needing stupid one-liners and snarky remarks every five seconds. 
this one goes right back to that kind of men mentality and that it just it doesn't quite hit as well as it should have you know the love story between banner and romanov was slightly forced mostly in the setup of the scenes the actors portraying those scenes did an amazing job doing what they could with what they had but half like a good portion of the scenes were actually partially cgi because it's romanov staring down the hulk yeah i don't know it was it wasn't bad it was just kind of weird hawkeye's backstory saying that he already has a wife and kids is fantastic because of what might be to come if they follow the uh ultimate storyline some force is going to wind up finding out about them and attacking them if they go along with the full ultimate storyline which i doubt i really hope they don't actually his whole family is going to get killed but but if they wind up accidentally killing you know accidentally quote unquote but accidentally killing one or two of his family members to kind of change his emotional and mental state that would be really cool not because he's killing someone no but because it'll change it'll force his mind to change about how he goes about attacking and how he goes about um fighting with the avengers um at the end of the movie he kind of it leaves off kind of feeling like he's retired but just like goodfellas they they'll probably find a way to bring him right back in um probably in civil war maybe infinity war hell maybe even in black panther for all i know at this point um but yeah uh one thing i really didn't like because it was such an obvious decision from the first film was making the scepter the stone within the scepter an infinity stone uh they made it the mind stone and they acted like the blue gem on the outside was actually just a protective casing for the yellow gem on the inside my opinion that's going along with what fan demand was because so many fans had that belief in their head almost everyone i've talked to said that that was going to wind up happening and it did cool for those guys for being right good on you guys you guys are paying attention i had a feeling that they were going to do that but, but my biggest thing was i was really hoping they wouldn't that they would pull the fast one on the fans that they would not do it badly obviously like don't you don't want to piss off your fan base by throwing it in their face but if you can pull a really artistic uh twist on something like that like a like small but artistic it would have been better in my opinion it would just it would have just done something more than just go with what the, what the fans would have wanted kind of thing i don't know you got to be sensitive about that kind of stuff so i totally understand them not doing it but part of me just wishes they would have um and then i don't know it just i think joss whedon wanted people to walk out of that theater half of them ecstatic for what just happened and half of them can have this mentality that isn't necessarily hate or love it's just like slight disappointment maybe um to set up your emotional state for civil war i really think that actually was the goal of this film this film feels like such a large stepping stone um it feels like they were wrapping up a bunch of stuff that they set up before trying to get the big payoff moments and then all they did was just introduce a bunch more stuff to get you excited for later installments like I know that's what most Marvel movies are supposed to do in general, but this one just felt like they didn't try to do any world building and no personal building in terms of characterization. Very, I mean, it was there, but there just wasn't a whole lot of it. Um, you know, we wind up seeing Banner's character devolve into a depressed and guilt-ridden wreck. We got to see Cap wind up rising above and forgiving someone who's done something wrong in the case of Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and actually say, like, you guys are just like me. You volunteered for a government-funded 
experiment program to change you physically to defend your country. The exact same thing that happened to me, kind of behavior. So we got to see that. We got to see that uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver will look outside themselves and see that S.H.I.E.L.D. and more specifically uh, the Avengers actually are a force for good. That Generally, they want to preserve life at all costs, no matter where it's at. And we got to see them change. They, we got to see them change their opinions immediately, like during the act of, because the Avengers made the top priority distract Ultron while saving as many people, thousands of people as possible. And their their opinions changed instantly, like just flipped. So that was really cool to see happen on screen. Near the end of the film, even, um, everyone assumed Hawkeye was probably going to wind up dead, but they did a really nicely done sequence where Quicksilver rushes in and saves him, but winds up taking hundreds of bullets through the body. I expected them to use the tissue regeneration they showed early on in the film to save him, but they didn't. Uh, he wound up dead. Yeah, it really was kind of shocking. But I think going forward that we will have a scene that will wind up showing Scarlet Witch's powers evolving rapidly. Um, in this film, we had her just doing, you know, thought manipulation and physical manipulation through telekinesis and telepathy. But one of her powers from the comics is completely altering reality. I think personally that the way they'll bring Quicksilver back into the fray, back into the fold, is that she will wind up evolving her powers further and resurrecting him. It's just a feeling. Like, that that would be the natural way within the realm of fitting within comic book medium, while also bringing the character back that is essential later. So, as far as what else is to come, we saw Thor put himself through a vision quest, and basically he saw the Infinity Gems and the Gauntlet and everything like that. Um... I personally believe we will see the Soul Gem appear or at least be mentioned and brought up in the terms of Adam Warlock in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think we're going to hear about the Soul Gem first in, in Doctor Strange. I don't think it'll appear, but I think we'll hear about it, much in the same way that we heard about Doctor Strange in Captain America, just by name, a name drop. I think the Time Gem will appear in Inhumans because it happens right in between Infinity War Part 1 and Part 2. And I feel like because they used the Mind Gem to create two new Inhumans on Earth, that we're going to see the Time Gem create the Terrigen Mists that the Inhumans use to mutate themselves into their super-powered beings. So that's just personal future-looking. Um, and it would make sense to have... Thanos have all but one gem by the end of the first film, leave with a cliffhanger, do Captain Marvel and uh, Inhumans, which deal directly with the Kree Empire and what the Kree did to humanity in different ways. Captain Marvel's created by a very direct interaction, um, a one-to-one -one reaction or interaction, and Inhumans is much more like genetic experiment hundreds of years ago that still affects that society to this day, and they can't survive without that modification process that the Kree implemented all the way back then called Terrigen Mist. It's kind of a gaseous material that forcibly changes people. Now, I'd like to hear from you guys. Go on and leave comments um, below, everything like that. Uh, like us on Facebook, Geek Domination. Um, it's a podcast. Go to our website, geekdomination.net. 
and uh, go in and drop us an email in geekdominationlisteners at gmail.com. We'll all get back to you uh, whenever. Um, in response to this video, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, on the film, and then I'd also like to hear your thoughts on what you expect to happen later. Not like big moments, just, just those big moments, I should say. Just like I said, where I was predicting the time gem, the soul gem, um, and where they'll appear. Um, tell me how this movie made you feel. And uh, please, 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 no arguments down below, no fighting, no fanboyisms. Just, just keep it really civil, please, because we don't need hate here. And uh, yeah, with that, um, I'll have another episode up probably later this week. Um, this week, I think I'll do the origin of Spider-Man in his various forms and how they've done that in the films um, and kind of compare and contrast them. So hope to hear from you guys again. Bye.